Hello, my lovely people. How are you? Welcome back to the Next Chapter podcast. It's so lovely to have you with me. Thank you. Now, if you are thinking about your next chapter, having a little ponder, then I think this conversation could really help. Nina Foster has come all the way from Texas wanting to be a doctor to working here in the UK as a food stylist, writer, and she has her own fermentation school. Nina has created a life which works for her and her family centred around her passion, all by being brave enough to say what wasn't working along the way. Nina didn't just have the Sunday night feeling when she was working in her full-time job. Hers started on a Saturday afternoon. Nina is honest, frank, and at times, yes, there are a few swearing words, but this is Nina. She is full of so much life and passion, and she believes we can all create the path meant for us. Hello and welcome to the next chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to indie author, I speak to some incredible people who've already started their next chapter in the hope it may help you with your next chapter. Or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here she is, Nina Foster. Nina Foster, welcome to the next chapter. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's yeah, it's a pleasure. As I said, yeah, it's it's, it's really exciting to yeah to be asked. Oh, wow. oh, I was so I was so thrilled when you said yes. So thank you. And we're going to just get straight into it because I love your story, Nina. It's a, it's amazing, and the listeners are going to find out why. Um, but, but anyway, so let's get going. So you grew up in Texas in Houston. Yes, I did. Yeah, I'm American originally, which I think yeah confuses a lot of people because they're like I don't hear it but then some people are like no no you're definitely American but it depends it depends I think on the words and yeah who I've been speaking to before whether or not the American slips up but yeah <laughs> I can yeah. hear it I can hear it and you say actually you say you had quite a difficult and chaotic childhood and you yeah, yeah, spent yeah. a lot of time with books and your studies and this was a sort mm. of a bit of a coping mechanism yeah yeah definitely uh I had you know quite yeah, just a tough childhood, you know, kind of, yeah, lots of, um, yeah, back and forth with my parents, and they eventually divorced um, when I was about 13, and so spent, you know, the rest of my childhood kind of in a single parent home where there wasn't much money, and just kind of some of, you know, obviously the trials that come along with that, but also some of the, you know, the leftover kind of, yeah, residual kind of issues with my, with my, with my parents and my father, who I'm now kind of estranged from and haven't spoken to in a while, so yeah, so quite difficult quite chaotic and I think I grew up quite quickly as a result as well I mean I tell my kids now like I was cooking my own meals and doing my own laundry at eight because I had to be very kind of yeah independent um and do a lot of my own kind of looking after so yeah so it was um yeah it was difficult and as I said yeah I I found school and books as kind of the way to kind of get through and I think also coming from you know a family where there wasn't much money and kind of knowing that if I wanted to kind of you know, ensure that I had a better life, that I had to, I had to get a good education. So, so school was really important and kind of thinking about, um, particularly, you know, in America where, you know, a lot of your kind of earning potential and your career prospects is tied to, you know, your education and your university. So I knew I had to kind of get myself to university and get through university if I wanted to kind of, you know, essentially have, have a better career prospects and have a better 
full of life. Mm. Yeah. And what what is I mean obviously you you've got children now here in in England. Mm. What was it yeah. like at school in in Texas? You know, was it very different to what it is here? <laughs> I mean, personally I've always wanted to go, so I'm, I'm yeah. asking for my own reasons here. Um yeah, I mean we're talking years ago. So I mean it's probably very different now and I and I don't get back often, so I, I don't know. And and I think I for me, I mean, there's some similarities, I think, but there is a lot of difference. I think we were probably, I mean, in, in the education system in America as well, they're often, children are streamed into different kind of education based on their educational abilities. So I was often streamed into kind of the higher performing, with the higher performing students. So, I mean, I think like here now with my own children, seeing children with mixed abilities in the same class is a very different kind of setup. Whereas, you know, I was in, you know, with all kind of bright children and was probably one of the kind of ones scraping the battle of the barrel, basically, with the bright <laughs> children. Um, as I said, I had lots of other home difficulties that I was navigating whilst trying to, you know, do my best in school. Um, so so it's a very different setup. So you're kind of, yeah, you're kind of, you know, sectioned off from a very early age um, to see who's the brightest and the best. And you're kind of put into certain classes where, you know, you have different types of challenges and, and, and assessments. Um, so that's very different to hear. Um and yeah, so so it feels I feels a lot less pressurized. I think the education system here, particularly for younger children, um, and I feel like you know it's made me relax a bit because I think because it was, again, my education was very much about it had to be very serious, very focused, and it was very performance orientated. And now with my kids, um, you know, I'm more focused on them, you know, discovering their their love for learning, and 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 I, and and I think you know years later now realizing that that's really what that's people up for a life of you know achieving whatever they want is kind of learning and loving learning whatever it is and it doesn't have to be you know related to you know maths or English or whatever else and I think if you love learning and discovering things that pretty much sets you up for a life to do whatever you want yeah, um, I totally agree. Kind of, yeah yeah I totally yeah. but at the time you wanted to be a doctor didn't you yeah I had brief aspirations to be a lawyer and then decided I wanted to be a doctor and that kind of came my focus from probably when I was you know you know 11 12 maybe even younger maybe yeah eight nine ten from there kind of was yeah that I was going to be a doctor uh, and I kind of saw myself um I mean again it was quite special so I wanted to be an anesthetist in particular and I wanted to work in sort of conflict zones and in, in, you know in areas where wow. people had oh yeah it was very specific very yeah specific. kind of what I you know and I kind of pictured myself living like you know and like you know foreign countries and war-torn places and kind of you know doing this you know very niche job uh, but yeah but that's what I wanted to do and that kind of that's kind of what I kind of pursued up until you know sort of my third year in university when I when yeah it became apparent that I probably wasn't going to be a doctor <laughs> so and, and why yeah. was that you, you said because it was all to do obviously because it is it sort of even longer out there your medical schools and obviously all the costs yeah, of everything yeah and... yeah yeah so in I mean in the states you obviously you go to university for four years and in that four years you can specialize in whatever so I did what was called preclinical medicine or pre-med um so any of your American listeners will, will know this um so you do sort of four years of kind of general sciences and I mean things like I mean random things like I had to take you know advanced calculus I mean I'm not really sure how important <laughs> that sounds fancy and, uh, oh yeah I mean don't ask me to do any of it now because <laughs> I would look at you very blankly um but I had to do you know this quite rigorous like you know advanced you know science and whatever else um in order to get a preclinical medicine degree so after you've done that four years you then have to sort of apply to go to medical school and then you have another four years of medical school but in the states again you know it's a, it's um 
it's very much a system that's geared towards people who, you know, who have the family support, financial and whatever else um, to do it. Because in your sort of third year, whilst you're in university, you have to start preparing for these exams. And, you know, most people are taking prep courses on top of their studies. And these prep courses then cost about two and a half grand. And then you're having to apply to medical schools. And, you know, the acceptance rate is, you know, you know, it's minimal. So you're applying to, you know, 20, 30 schools, hoping to get a place. Each application is a couple hundred quid. And then you go to medical school and you're looking at forty to fifty thousand dollars a year wow. for tuition oh my fees. God. So so it is, yeah. And That's I mean again, normal. as I said, you know, I had to I got myself to university, I got a partial sort of academic scholarship and the rest I had to work to kind of pay my fees and to pay my living expenses. So I was already, you know, I'd already taken on a big financial burden and like there was just really no way that I could have Mm-hmm. could have taken on more so I kind of had a you know a real talk with myself and was like well actually you know I think at the time it was quite devastating but mm-hmm. I think yeah in hindsight you know these things happen and you know you move on and you find something else um and my life would be very very different had but yeah so I mean there were times where I thought you know life was kind of over that I didn't end up becoming a doctor but um you know sitting back now 20 plus years later um, I, I don't feel too bad about it. <laughs> no, as I say, I don't think, yeah, if you're in some war yeah. zone now, Nina, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation for a start. I mean, so, yeah. I'm like, yeah, this is good for me. But so yeah. let's, go, let's go into your first chapter. So you actually, this yeah. is when you moved over here, didn't you? You moved over here yeah. and you went to the University of Nottingham. I did. So I was working in DC. So I was doing, um, I was working in homeless and homelessness and housing charities. So my first kind of jobs at a university, I moved to DC, got these jobs, Washington, DC. Um, I got this job into the charity sector and decided that I wanted to study. Um, and I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to, yeah, I mean, I didn't want to stay in the States because I hadn't had a chance to really travel or go abroad. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go abroad for my master's and maybe, I'll, you know, we'll see what happens and maybe I'll find a, a course. And I found this course at the University of Nottingham that was a social policy and administration. And I was working in D.C. and in the charitable sector and kind of everybody does kind of public policy or, you know, or public administration type um, programs which are often two years and this one was one year and I'm like this is perfect I can go abroad I can do a qualification that's relevant to what I'll come back to DC to do um, and I was convinced I'd come for a year do my degree and then go back um, but yeah I came to Nottingham having never lived or visited <laughs> did England. Did you find it was uh, chilly after Texas? Um, I know you were Washington. Was, well I'd been I'd been I'd had preparation so I went to university in the Midwest which okay. was very very cold so I left Texas and went okay sort of about 19 hours north okay. uh, driving so I've been used to snow so I've That's gotten, all right. I've gotten used to snow um but I think it was just more of a culture shock I think you know you have this very you know um Notting Hill you know the queen version of England and you get to Nottingham and it's just definitely not that I never forget the first time someone called me a duck yeah uh, the- <laughs> I was like what's he saying does he think I look like a duck like is he insulting <laughs> me what's going on um so it was a complete like culture shock um but yeah so I ended up on this master's program and it, it turned out to be a quite an international program so I've got still some of my best friends I've met here in England that I that I or, or the ones that I met on my course um mm. and kind of through the networks on, on my course um so yes yeah, so I was in Nottingham for a year and then ended up as you do in Sweden for a summer nice. doing this sort of yeah 
the summer school program, um, I can't really remember the focus of it, but the University of Lund was offering sort of full sort of summer places for, for students who applied and got onto this program. Um, and I got there and you know, was doing some studies there. And one of the sort of professors it kind of encouraged me to do um, a PhD. I thought, okay, well, you know, I could go back to America and just get a job, um, you know, or maybe I could try this out and see. And I guess I said, I always loved kind of learning and studying and reading. And so it kind of sounded ideal, you know, the idea of, and, you know, again, it kind of was like, well, you know, it sounds great, but how am I going to afford to, you know, how am I going to afford this? Mm. And the idea of, you know, getting a studentship, which, you know, I mean, I don't know what the, the fees are now or the rates are now, but you pay your tuition fees, um, well, you get your tuition fees paid for and you also get a small living stipend. Um, I had to make up the difference because I was an international student. But I mean, again, I was getting paid to study um, and kind of, you know, work in the university doing various things. Um, and it was, yeah, it was great. I mean, it was sort of four years of, well, yeah, four, it turned out to be four years, <laughs> four years of working as a research assistant across different projects, um, teaching various modules, um, you know, and, you know, marking, always marking. Um, and, and yeah, working on my own PhD, which, which was, yeah, which was great. Um, and again, I think, you know, a very niche subject that I won't bore you with, but I think it was a big kind of learning experience for me in terms of, you know, um, being able to really challenge myself and to kind of see what I was capable of doing um, and, and producing and, you know, kind of, yeah, it was more of an endurance test really than anything. Yeah. Did, you, <laughs> did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy it? I, I did enjoy it. There were times where I hated it, particularly the final year when you're kind of writing it up and, you know, you basically live um, in your pajamas at your desk for what to equate to about a year of your life. Mm. Um, people think that's the easiest part, but it's actually the hardest part when you're kind of writing and drafting and redrafting, um, to get it where you need it to be um so that was the most challenging part i mean doing the field work you know has its challenges but it was interesting you know doing the theoretical stuff you know it's all very interesting and going to conferences and stuff but yeah i think the hardest part was just actually writing mm. the bloody thing mm-hmm. um it, which it, you know it ends up being essentially you know a book um and you know obviously being judged and critiqued and pulled apart and all that never fun never um, fun so never fun but yeah but no i did enjoy it and i think you know again you know as i said having being you know someone who's always been very had been very academic it seems like a really natural next step mm-hmm. um so yeah so after I finished my PhD I started working and teaching in university um and working out as a as a researcher and lecturer and and yeah and and did that sort of um for nine years so both here in the UK and then I had a stent in Melbourne as well so working in a university and teaching there okay. too okay and what were you teaching yeah. at this stage yeah, so I was in sort of a health and social care faculty. So I taught things like um, social policy, actually, to various healthcare professionals, uh, sort of training nurses, training social workers. I taught research methods. Um, I taught things like the social inequalities of health. So looking at kind of the the social, uh, the wider social um, implications or the wider social issues that impact on our health and our, our, our everyday life. Um, I also taught public health, kind of the fundamentals. I taught epidemiology um yeah wow. lots of different things so so yeah you have to be a real kind of like yeah. <laughs> you have to be versatile in academia you can't really wedge yourself to one thing um often you kind of get asked to do lots and you have to pick up and go and you said you said you you love the research and the teaching but you didn't you didn't particularly like you say the university politics long hours and also yeah. and I can understand this increasing the entitled students I, I would imagine was that, was that yeah. the, the fee, they weren't paying their fees then were they no they were they were so 
in the in my time they went from paying quite minimal fees so i think my kind of final year in academia was the year that we the fees went up to about nine thousand pounds i'm not sure what they are now but i'm assuming they're yeah. there or, or higher students were still paying i think before that around seven five to seven grand okay. if i remember correctly for their for their um for their courses or a year for their courses um and yeah I think the universities I won't name names but they work out where I worked but there was just this increasing onus on us to kind of just get people through these courses whether or not they were learning anything students coming and saying well why didn't I get this well you you know you, you're happy your assessment is undone or it's written really badly yeah. um so, you know, and it was just this kind of understanding that you paid money for a degree, you were going to get the degree. Mm. And that kind of really stripped out the love for me because I thought everybody was there to learn. And you, you know, you kind of, you wanted, you wanted people to be able to come and say, well, okay, I didn't get the mark I wanted, but what could I have done better? Not like, why didn't you give me this? And you're like, well, because you didn't actually earn it. So yeah. I can't just give didn't it to do you. the work. Yeah. And there was a lot of that. And, you know, and I think the university, because, you know, increasingly universities have been, funded through tuition fees and particularly certain degree programs though you know they subsist because of tuition fees you know the university had a very much they were under pressure to kind of just keep people in there and keep bums on seats basically to keep the you know keep mm. the finances in check and it just became really untenable because I just couldn't see how I could you know pour my passion into people who didn't want to learn and who were only there for a piece of paper and the university mm. was kind of telling me to do the same thing just pass them through mm. um so that we can carry on getting the fees and it just it was really it was all destroying I think coming mm. from a background where again having university be such a privilege and something that I had to you know kind of scrape my way through by you know lots of lots of late nights and tears and whatever else um and to kind of come into a system where it was it was it seemed the wrong way around mm. completely so yeah I I had to I had to make an exit so I left um and again yeah the long hours I mean people don't I think realize they think oh you get holiday you know in the summer but you're working particularly if you're trying to do or carry on any kind of research like all your spare time that you're not at work or even when you you know at, at home you're trying to keep up any kind of research and, and that sort of stuff so it's just a lot mm. and, and you know hats off to anybody if I think who has kind of carried on in I mean obviously we need people to carry on doing this but I just I couldn't do it no and, um, and also especially yeah. like what you said at the beginning about how sort of like you think one of the essence to life is learning and always wanting to learn so that just was going completely against all your values mm -hmm. and ethics wasn't it that we, you're yeah. teaching people who don't want to learn yeah. it was like a double you know it was just yeah just yeah so, so you left didn't you and you went um you you so you threw yourself into a full-time senior consultancy role yeah so I was on maternity leave um so yeah so I went on maternity leave from academia and had my first child my son um and then knew that I couldn't go back it was just like as the months were creeping forward I was like I can't do this I really can't do this so I started looking for other jobs and kind of looking like what could I do how can I take the skills that I know that I have and apply them somewhere else um and you know I'd always I'd worked in the public sector you know I'd worked in you know in health which is part of the public sphere and I was thinking you know and I've done research how can I like take some of these transferable skills and put them somewhere else so I ended up in consultancy and so I was working for a public so I found a job at a public sector public sector consultancy firm a small one um because I didn't like the idea of kind of you know these kind of big five firms and kind of that just really put me off. So I thought, well, I can go small, I can go boutique, I can do stuff that's really meaningful, really interesting, and will have a, an, an impact. Um, and so that's what I thought I was getting myself into. <laughs> and what was the reality? Yeah. The reality was, I, yeah, 
not very much of what I thought it was going to be. It was a lot more long hours. It was a lot of, it was a treadmill. Um, and, you know, I, I think probably a lot of people who work in consulting will agree with this, that, you know, it's just from one project to the next, you know, proposal to project, nonstop repeat. Um, and I think I was doing a lot of NHS work uh, and also some more social justice and public policy stuff around kind of, um, you know, equality and diversity and also some you know just just general just social justice type work but a lot of my work was in the healthcare sector um and I was just finding it really disheartening that you know you were being brought in to kind of offer up solutions that you know for the most part and I always tried to you know the work that I did and I think the firm that I worked for we were always trying to give you know feasible solutions and not to make the most money or tell people to do things just because it will make us look good um, it was always kind of, you know, well thought out, well evidenced solutions and you're giving solutions based on your expertise. And most often, they, you know, they were just ignored um, or, you know, somehow it ended up going wrong once it was been handed over. Um, and I it just it just became, again, disheartening that all the work you were putting in trying to help sort out, you know, say, you know, a system and it was then just kind of not being taken on board and it just just became you know and again with the health service I just kind of felt like a lot of money was being wasted on consultancy because you know I'm not going to vouch for the quality of all the solutions being offered but you know generally what we were offering were you know you know reasonable solutions to different issues the health sector was facing but it just was never going to happen for right. a myriad of reasons um and I just was like I can't I can't <laughs> I can't keep doing this it right. was it was again it was kind of like it was going against the kind of like the values that I had mm. and you know you think when you see a problem and you want to fix it and you're trying your best you know you're spending 80 hours a week working on a solution for somebody you hand it over and then it just mm. you know Isn't because it? people can't get the, the you know the people don't you know you mm. know egos are involved and all sorts of things mm. and just mismanagement and it was just like I can't keep doing this um, but also it was just long hours really and mm. I think it became you know, when you're a woman and you're career orientated and, you know, you're kind of in a lots of situations, you're kind of expected to sacrifice being a mother and being an employee. And I'm not saying this is in every situation, but it was kind of that way in my job. Yeah. Um, I was even told, I mean, I, I should have taken a job in the first place. I remember my interview, I was asked how I was going to balance being a mum and working full time. And I was like, that's actually illegal. You can't ask me that. But, you know, I, I want a job. So I'm just going to pretend you didn't ask me an illegal question. Um, but, you know, and my boss was also a woman who worked all the time. And she kind of said, well, get an au pair. An au pair will kind of raise the kids for you. Oh, nice. And, you know, that sort of stuff. It was very much an environment where I was just expected to churn. Yeah. Um, all hours, every hour. Um, and it again, I'd had children by that point and I didn't want to not have time with my children. And I think the realization came when I was having a chat with one of my friends. I mean, he, he's a gay man, no children, but he kind of just said to me in a very like, you know, and it wasn't, you know, he didn't mean it in a bad way, but in a very kind of like, just straightforward way. He's like, so you're basically a weekend parent. And I was like, oh my God, I am. Like, yeah. I only see my child yeah. at this point. I'd only had one at the weekends and that's it and then at the weekend it's still work was kind of creeping in you know again I said you know a boss would call occasionally or I'd be having to work on Sundays mm. and I was like I'm not I have no life and mm. I'm not enjoying my child um it's what's not sustainable yeah what's the what point? is the point and I think that was like you know that was kind of like the the kind of undercurrent throughout that like what is the point why am I doing this and you know I you know it's not that you know I was doing well in my job you know I managed to get a promotion within a year you know I got 
you know, pay rises and all these sorts of stuff. But, you know, again, it was like, what is the point? Why am mm. I doing this? Mm. Um, I, you know, I know I can do it. I'm good at it. And it's not the fact that I'm trying to prove that I'm good at it. But I'm just, you know, mm. I don't know why I'm doing this. No, well, <laughs> really. I know. Well, yeah. but this is, I mean, this is, and we'll we'll move on then to what what you did. But this is what I think is amazing in reading your story with all these things. You you can admit you admitted when things weren't working. Going back to when you realised you weren't going to be a doctor. Um, yeah. But all these things, and this is this is so important, isn't it? Because so many of us mm. we just carry on because you mm-hmm. think, well, this is how it should be, and this is mm-hmm. how it is. But actually, if you question it, it doesn't have to be that way, does it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think. I think that was like the biggest I mean I guess for me that's kind of always been it's the hardest thing to do I think especially when like you know we like routine we like patterns we like being comfortable we like being safe uh and knowing what's going to happen next um but again I think some of my again the chaos of my childhood to come into play it because I was kind of used to you know things kind of falling apart and going a bit messy and having to kind of pick up and keep going so whenever kind of things start to crumble and tumble um I've always been good at kind of, you know, just saying, okay, well, what's next? How do I, how do I make this different? How do I make this better? Um, what, what do I go from here? So I've never kind of had the luxury of kind of, you know, yeah, when we, when things fall apart to kind of just kind of, you know, stay static and, and kind of, you ignore know, it. I don't know, ignore it. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, but it, it's, it's definitely hard to kind of say, well, this isn't working, but I think that's hugely important to admit to yourself it's not working and, and to admit to yourself that, you know, it's not going to be easy to make something else work. And you may not know what that something else is, but you've got to try and find it because mm. the alternative is, you know, being stuck and being miserable and knowing something isn't working. Mm. Um, wasting, you know, wasting precious time doing something that makes you terribly unhappy. Mm. And you said, you said yeah. you have, you know, that have a dreaded Sunday night feeling or, you know, you're just, you're just spending yeah. your whole time in sort of misery and it affects all areas of your life. Completely. I mean, my Sunday nights would turn into Saturday afternoons and I yeah. found that I was only the only time I was enjoying my life or felt that I could enjoy my life was kind of Friday afternoon when I'd mm. leave work to Saturday afternoon. And that was it. Because oh, then I knew Saturday, Saturday afternoon, I, you know, Saturday once, maybe, you know, late afternoon, I would start thinking about the work that I needed to do on Sunday. Mm. and dreading kind of knowing that I'd get to Sunday and know that I would have to do work or knowing that once Sunday came it was Monday again mm. and I was like there's, there's got to be something yeah. <laughs> I've got to do something about this I can't keep letting the weeks pass and then you I mean and one of the things that really used to like really almost just just fuck me off really was that people <laughs> People could enjoy their jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are people who are like, you know, and I obviously, you know, it always looks rosy on the outside, but there are people who are happy and enjoying what they do. Like, why can't I be one of those people? Um, And and again, rather than kind of saying, woe is me, uh, you know, I was like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make myself one of these people. I'm not going to, you know, waste the next 30 years dreading every day of my working life. Like, no, I'm not doing it. Oh, that's amazing. So, well, then that neatly takes us on, Nina, yeah. to the, your next chapter. So, so you, it was when you were on your second maternity leave then. So you were still yeah. working for that firm um, at yeah. this stage. And you say you found mm-hmm. yourself spending a lot. I mean, this is so like so different to everything we've talked yeah. about so far. So yeah. you found yourself spending a lot of time in your kitchen. Um, yeah. And it was a really it was a really sort of calming sort of place for you. Mm-hmm. You'd always mm-hmm. loved uh, cooking, you say. You'd been a vegetarian for a long time. So you'd hosting dinner parties because people mm-hmm. didn't know what to feed you. Um, yeah. And so this led you to decide to do some formal cooking training yeah yeah 
So, I mean, initially I was like, oh, it'd be nice to like take some cooking classes or, and that kind of evolved to thinking, well, maybe like, you know, I could, you know, just do a side cooking thing. And then, you know, one day I was like, well, why can't I just completely change careers and have a career, you know, in something food related? Like, Mm. and I think all the while that I was really unhappy with, you know, my work, I was kind of doing this kind of like, well, what do I love? What do I want to do? And, you know, cooking and food was always something that came up, but I just thought I never could do that. Like, that's not, how can I make a career out of that? And again, there's also, you know, I've I've invested a lot of money and time in my education and I'm like, I can't, you know, I've got a PhD. I can't go work in a restaurant kitchen. Like, what would they think of me? They might think that I was like, you know, <laughs> running, running from the police or something. Under yeah, some, undercover. Like, you know, undercover. <laughs> like, it would just be weird. Like, I couldn't do that. There's a lot of money, a lot of, you know, hmm. wasted, wasted education. Um, but I kept coming back to it. And I thought, well, actually, maybe there is something. Like, why can't I? Like, why, why can't I? I have no idea what I could do. But I'm like, why can't I? It's something hmm. I love doing. And I think it was always that in the back of my head that I needed to find something that I loved that didn't necessarily feel like work. Again, that's a bit of a misconception because it will still feel like work, even if you love it. Um, <laughs> but I needed to find something that I had more passion for um, and something that, yeah, that, that kind of made me excited. Um, mm-hmm. and, and none of my work, you know, there were bits of it that I liked, but there was nothing that could sustain me in either of those careers. So I needed to find something that was more integral to kind of who who I was and, and what I really loved. Um, so yeah, so I was on maternity leave. I was spending more time in the kitchen cooking, obviously having to cook for people. But it was just kind of, it also became just a place where, you know, when the kids were kind of happy and settled, I would go into the kitchen and bake or I would go into the kitchen and just, you know, have some time to myself, put the radio on and like no one would bother me in there. It was, it was like magic. Um, the youngest one was too big, too small to, to come bother me. But yeah, I would just have a bit of time to myself. Um, and also it's kind of where I started um, thinking more about my health as well. So with my after my second maternity leave, because I had a rough go the first time. Um, mm. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm desperate to kind of have more energy and feel better. Um, and maybe I need to look at what I'm eating. The first time around as well, I basically subsisted on caffeine and cake. And that's probably why I felt dreadful. <laughs> you um, got a young baby. That's cake is well, the that, um, way yeah, to go. Yeah, cake and coffee was the way oh, to go. Yeah. So the second time around, I saw a nutritional therapist who like, you know, told me like what I needed to be doing, you know, I cut out caffeine completely, which again, I was like, this is unheard of. Like, how am I going to be a new mom with two small yeah. children and not have caffeine? Yeah. How did you this do it? Just mad. Um, I did. And I mean, it, it's not something that's stayed. I mean, again, I'm back off it again, but I, I, for a while I went back, but anyhow, um, but I mean, I was amazed. I felt so much better mm. like it was to the point where I felt so good people were like oh how are you like oh you've got two small children you must feel dreadful and I'd be like no actually I feel really yeah. good yeah. like I had more energy then than I, I probably do now wow. um, but I felt amazing and I was like well there's something in this like mm. obviously again as I said I'd always been kind of fairly health conscious you know having worked in health and um you know vegetarian so I kind of had a rough idea of what I was supposed to be eating but I think just doing more of it and doing better and, and cutting out lots of, you know, loads of sugary crap processed food just meant I felt so much better. So again, so it was kind of this, you know, this, these sort of things happening tangentially, me kind of having more time in the kitchen cooking, me also kind of looking more after my health with food and realizing that I felt so much better um, and kind of, yeah, they kind of combined. And I was like, it'd be amazing if I could find like a food related course that also encompassed you know nutrition Mm. um and I remember we were on holiday and I was 
um the kids were like in the pool with my husband and I was kind of lying out watching them and kind of on my phone searching for courses thinking surely there's got to be something out there and I'd found one but it was in America it was like a six month intensive and I was like well that's not gonna work is it back where you Um, began so it was like back to the drawing board but the idea was still there that I wanted to do something in food and I wanted to have it like you know a health or food or nutrition component in there because that was really important um, and I was intrigued. I was like, how does this work? Like how, you know, again, I, I did, I'd worked in health, I'd researched health, you know, from comorbidities to long term, you know, I'd done all this stuff. And it just, the, the boxes, you know, the, the light bulb kind of went off that like, actually what we put in our body has such an impact on how we feel. And that's mm. kind of where first times it really dawned on me and I had that experience of actually feeling so much better just by changing what mm. I was eating mm. and I thought well there's something in this you know and yeah, so I've got to look into this so and then ended up finding yeah of course that was um yeah here in London at the mm. College of Naturopathic Medicine um and I enrolled on that and I was going to kind of postpone it but then I was like you know what I'm just going to go for it mm. um and so it kind of coincided the start of the course kind of started just before I was due to go back for my maternity leave so I was you know doing my nutrition and and kind of physiology training um just before I went back to work and then I went back into work and I was working four days a week and then studying one day a week um yeah that's a lot with two babies as well two young children and um so but eventually you took voluntary redundancy didn't you yeah so that I mean that was funny I mean it didn't you know yeah so I've been back to work and I've actually gone back I ended up doing shared parental leave so I went back a bit earlier so my husband could have kind of the last three months of my maternity leave with with their children um partially because you know work was kind of always like when you're coming back mm. you're coming back and oh, I was like well so I'll let him it, it, and it worked out that you know shared parental leave was kind of new and I thought well actually this will be quite good and then I can you know go back to work in time with the kids um so I and at the time we were earning quite equal salaries so it was just like one of us would you know it had been the same either way mm. um so yeah so I went back to work um and then you know when I got back I kind of sensed something was a bit off I mean you know again they kind of again you know I knew while I was good at my job I still wasn't kind of you know the right fit mm. you know in their eyes for this role I think because you know again I cared about people I worked with a bit more than they did I cared about my family um I think I always just was a bit on the outside um and yeah it was a very odd situation where you know I was told that I mean at this point I was in kind of given charge over the kind of research and evaluation arm of our work and was told that revenue had been down in the area and I'm like no shit I've been off work for 10 months like <laughs> I wasn't going to do, do that as well Let's have what, a baby. what do you expect so I was like oh like well, revenue's been down and we need to make redundancies and you know basically I had to prove that or I was going to have to, I was going to have to, or, and then when I pointed this out to them, then I'd been kind of, you know, off on maternity leave and like this is verging on discrimination. The story kind of changed a bit. And then it was like, well, we have to, you know, we have to cut down. So we're going to, um, you know, there's going to be one role and one fractional role. And there's going to be three of you that have to interview for this role. And I was the most senior. And I'm like, well, it's clearly obvious that if I interview for these roles that I on paper should get these roles. Like, mm. And then, you know, I was like, I don't want to play your games. Like, no. I'm, I'm sick of this bullshit anyhow. Yeah. So I'm just going to go. Yeah, um, I'm off. I'll see you later. Good for so, you. Um, so I left. And Good it was very you. scary to leave. Um, he was also really anticlimactic to leave. Mm. Um, I just kind of left. came in, cleared out my locker, and that was it. Wow. I took a few of my juniors out for coffee, but, like, no one else kind of, you know, acknowledged that I was leaving. It was oh great. So I was like, this 
this is probably the right decision. Yeah. Um, and it was like, I mean, it was crazy. So I left work. I'd had to go in for 9.30, uh, clear out my locker, um, took my juniors out for coffee, and then I had nowhere to go. I had all my shit in my bag, and oh. I was like a bit lost. And I was like, you know what? I'll go to some place that really makes me happy. I'll go to Borough Market. So I went to Borough Market in London um, and was just kind of mooching around. And in the in the meantime, I kind of, you know, because I was doing my course and trying to get myself set up with like internships and that sort of stuff. So I've emailed loads of people trying to get like work experience in food. And by some like crazy magic stroke of luck, I'm walking around Borough Market and I check my phone and I've gotten an email from Anna Jones, then PA saying, Oh, Anna has a shoot coming up. Would you like to come help out? Wow. Like, what a moment. That's amazing. That's the like, universe. Yeah, exactly. It was like, oh, okay. And again, you know, when you send these emails to people kind of begging for work and whatever, you kind of, you know, most people don't get back to you. And it's understandable. People are busy. Uh, and you kind of, you know, you half expect no one to ever reply to you. But, but yeah, I got a reply. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was amazing. So I ended up, yeah. Yeah, it ended up, I mean, yeah, again, as I said, you know, it's it's never, it's not been straightforward by any stretch, but it's been, I've not looked back. Okay, you know. so so just so, so everyone listening, so this is what you're doing now, and we're talking about mm-hmm. sort of how you got there. So you're mm-hmm. so you're a natural chef, so you carried on with your course, obviously. Yeah. But you've got um, a cookery and fermentation school as such online, yeah. haven't you? You, yeah. you teach, uh, you develop mm-hmm. recipes, you're a food stylist, and you're a food writer as well. Yeah. And Amazing. I, yeah, I do, yeah, so I do lots of, and one of the things was that I, one of the things that I, I hated about my previous jobs was the monotony. And I always said, I like, I like variety and this is just the way I work. And I never want to kind of do one thing and kind of have one thing kind of be, be what I do. Uh, which I know probably makes a lot of people cringe to think about, but I just like, I like having lots of things on the go. So yeah. So I, um, I took on lots of different experiences while I was trying doing my training to try and work out what it was I wanted. I slowly ruled things out. Like I, I did a few catering jobs and I absolutely hated it. Mm. Uh, and I was like, I definitely don't want to do catering. And <laughs> I knew I didn't want to work in a cafe and I knew I didn't want to work in a restaurant. Um, so I, I needed to figure out what it was. I had no idea what it was. So I just kind of cast a wide net and kind of, as I said, slowly kind of ruled things out. Um, but obviously having had a teaching background, and, you know, obviously loving learning. I love teaching. Um, so I, I found a way to bring teaching and my teaching skills into my new work. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I run um, cookery classes, fermentation classes. A lot of it has to go online during COVID. So mm-hmm. that's where I kind of did it all online and still do it online. Um, but, yeah, but was doing it face to face. I also last year I was working in a primary school. So I was a teaching chef in a primary school, mm-hmm. teaching children um, how to cook and also about nutrition and, and generally about food and where it comes from. Um I, yeah, and I also, yeah, I write recipes. So actually this month um, I've got some recipes out in the Cardo Life magazine, which wow. is quite exciting. I keep getting people sending me pictures of them holding the magazine, like, look, you're in our magazine. Yeah. I'm like, yes, hi, yes, yes, that's me. Um, so yes, yeah, so I write recipes for like magazines for brands. And um, and yeah, I've worked on cookbooks, sort of cooking on sets and styling. And um, so I've done lots of different things. And I think, you know, it's kind of, yeah and I love the fact that it's so varied I mean it can be slightly chaotic at times when I have a week where I've got three different types of jobs going but 
I like it. <laughs> yeah, well, you look like you like it. And so that pure, so all of this is just kept, that all just evolved, did it really? So you just kept, did you just keep sort of contacting people? You and you got some work experience, and then you slowly mm-hmm. were paid. Is this this is how it all evolved? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Contacting people again, yeah, getting work experience. Um, yeah, and I think one of the things that I learned as well is like if I wanted, you know, if you want to try and, you know, if you're if you're offering yourself up for experience, if you want to learn something, just ask someone who knows or ask someone who does it. Um, you know, they might not get back to you, they might ignore you, but somebody might, and then you just you have to ask. Um, you know, I remember I wanted to try and to get into recipe testing, and I had a woman who came to teach a chef who came to teach on the course, and I said to her, if you know, if you ever want any, you know, recipe testers, let me know. And she's like, oh well, yeah, I'll keep you in mind. And then, you know, nothing, you know, I didn't hear anything. And then two months later, she came back and said, oh, actually, I've got a book coming out. Would you want to, wow. you know, do the recipe testing? And I was like, yes. And so it's that sort of stuff where you have to, like, yeah, you have to kind of. And I guess again, because there wasn't kind of a real you know, pre-formed career trajectory. So if I'd retrained as a solicitor, you know, mm. I'd kind of know I'd go into a firm or a private practice or some, you know, something like that. Um, but there was no kind of pathway for me. So I just kind of had to make it up um, myself. And I think a lot of it was just being being brave and asking for, mm. for you know, for, for work and asking for experience and putting myself out there to kind of, you know, try and get what I felt like I needed to kind of get me, closer to achieving what I wanted to achieve. Mm. But isn't yeah. it interesting, you know, well, I I just find this fascinating, the fact that if you go back to your beginning, that when you mm-hmm. talked about wanting to be a doctor, you know, mm-hmm. you, everything everything you're doing now is sort of linked to it all because you're doing um, with the food and with the healthy side of the food, you're helping people mm-hmm. and they're sort of feeling better. You mm-hmm. said you loved your research and your teaching. Well, you're doing exactly that with your A, mm-hmm. with the, with the mm-hmm. d- developing recipes, but also with your teaching as well and with the fermentation yeah. school and everything like yeah. this. Yeah. So, and also you're working flexibly so you can mm-hmm. be with your children. And mm-hmm. and I'm guessing you enjoy, you know, you enjoy more than that Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon slot. You know, you enjoy that. Yeah. You, you enjoy yeah. that. So actually all those decisions and admitting it, mm-hmm. didn't, but you're actually doing everything that you wanted to do yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And I didn't really like, I didn't really like connect the dots until quite recently. Um, and again, I do a lot of fermenting and like I have a, you know, a science brain and, you know, I mean, a certain level of depth of science that I get a bit switched off by, but like, you know, it, it completely appeals to, to me on many levels from the science aspect to the culinary aspect to the health aspect. So yeah, I didn't really connect all the boxes until quite recently that, you know, all, and I think that's one of the really important things is when you take a step into you know, your next career or your next chapter, whatever else, you don't leave behind no. all those strengths and all those skills and all those things you're good at when you step into the next one. Mm. Um, and for a while, I wanted to, and I thought I had to, when I first came into food, I was like, no, I need to be in food and I need to be, you know, this and I need to be that. And mm. I was like, but that ultimately what I do is going to be influenced by who I am and what skills I bring to it. And I think, again, that's often what people need to kind of embrace you know what they bring with them to the next chapter and not kind of shy away from it because that would make you distinctively who you are in your next chapter and Mm. also make your your offering whatever it is distinctively unique and distinctively you because that's who you are so yeah and I think it's it's yeah and I think you know in in my world now with food you know there's lots of you know there's lots of you go on Instagram and you look up food there's so much going on there and you can feel really insecure about what you bring you know mm. and who you are my pictures aren't good enough or my recipes don't look like this person's or 
whatever else um and you could sit there and do that to yourself all day but I think you you have to realize what you bring and mm. what you bring is distinctly different because you are different and you are unique and you mm. have all those different skills and and experiences that you bring into to well I bring into food that that shape how I do it um and I think that's yeah it's quite liberating and it's quite exciting um mm. to think that you know you're doing something that's uniquely you Mm-hmm. and yeah and that's that's quite rewarding it's so, yeah. so special yeah. it's so special and and it fits doesn't it if it's what would you say is your favorite part of of which which bit do you mm. enjoy the most oh I really do I mean I really do like teaching mm. I really really do I mean I love nothing more than when like someone's doing something and they learn a new you know a new kitchen trick or you know they they learn a new skill and then they really love it and they're like oh this is so great and like they have that light bulb moment and it's you know it may be something I showed them or you know something I posted about and that for me is just so satisfying I know it sounds really bizarre no, it but I absolutely love it yeah um and recently I mean so I had um so through our lockdown I was obviously running all my fermentation stuff online and I'd met a woman at an event a few years back and we'd kept in touch and we'd done some work together and she was really keen on learning to ferment and I was like well how about I'll do we'll do a session together over lockdown and you know I was I was kind of early days so I was trialing out the session so I gave her a massive discounted rate um, and she absolutely took to fermenting and loved it and has now moved to Cornwall and opened a fermentary wow um, and, and it's going amazingly and wow. like to me that's like the biggest and most amazing yeah um yeah reward you don't put a price that, on that do you yeah no I mean I've taught her something that she's completely fallen in love with and it's changed her life so mm. that feels really really cool yeah um, that is so yes cool. I love it I mean again I think I don't I, I earn a fraction of what I earned as a consultant mm. but you know I think you know the money at some point doesn't matter mm. um you know I feel like you you come to value different things. You know, when you when you're in a job that you hate and really the salary is the only reason you're staying, of course the money is important. Um, but when there are other things that are important to you, the money is less so important. Obviously everybody's got bills to pay and then paying your bills is important. Um, and I'm not saying that's not. And then for me that is, you know, that is important as well and that's a priority. But I don't feel that the money has the same pull that it used to have. I right. mean, again when I was in consulting, that was basically the only reason I stayed was yeah. that I earned a decent bit of money and I could buy myself things to make myself feel better. Yeah, about, about your bad job. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So did, is that what you've done, you know, so in terms of that's interesting, you should touch on that. So because I know this is one of the conversation people say, you know, money is a factor, it absolutely is a factor. But it yeah. so what you're saying is perhaps you you do sort of perhaps buy less shoes or whatever it is. Um, yeah. And because you're doing something you love so much, you actually probably don't even miss it. No, I mean, I don't. I mean, but I guess being freelance is difficult. I mean, and obviously anybody that's freelance will tell you this because you're having to wait for someone to pay you and often for work that you've already done. And in my line of work as well, often I'm, you know, having to buy out lots of ingredients or equipment or whatever else. So that can be difficult. And there are times in the month where I'm like, for fuck's sake, just pay the invoices. Um, So that can be very stressful. Um, But yeah, I don't miss it as much. I mean, again, I get to work from home a lot. So I'm home a lot. I don't have to, you know, travel every day or travel that often and and when I do it's often expensed you know because I'm going for a job and when you're freelance you can do that so I mean again and I you know I eat great food at home or you know if I'm going on a set or wherever else like there's you know I don't feel like I'm missing out on being able I mean you will realize as well when you work in food like a lot of restaurants are really bloody disappointing afterwards so you're like well so you don't even bother you're like 
I'm gonna keep the money and have something I you know I can make something equal delicious at home if not more delicious um so yeah I mean there's really and again you know once you have kids as well you know you really don't Mm. you know you're not buying you know you're not spending it on you know you know city breaks and all this sort mm. of stuff like your, your your priorities just change and I think your priorities are about to change because I've had kids but also because you know again I, I don't have the same level of income but I don't you just said I don't really mm. I don't really miss it mm. and I guess I mean the the not being miserable in my day-to-day life completely outweighs it does. The, the financial yeah gains yeah absolutely before we move on to the next uh step can i just ask something you because i'm a mm-hmm. close friend of mine because we, we like anna jones a lot and a close yeah. friend of mine is i know she really and she'll be listening to this and she'll be like what's anna jones like can, can i ask <laughs> it is she is she as lovely as she comes across of course she is she is she really really is she's a very kind generous um very chilled person um she's a great way of making you know everything you do seem like it's amazing even when you're like oh I'm not so sure if that's great but she's just really like positive and uh supportive and yeah she's absolutely lovely Fabulous. she is well as you are so that's a lovely team a lovely team yeah. so going on to be continued what would you obviously you've got so much still you want to do um mm. and you're looking you'd quite like to have an actual cookery space you say where you can yeah. run your classes and you can write mm-hmm. as well and you're moving mm-hmm. house so is this you're going you're in southeast London now going to the uh, coast in Kent how lovely mm-hmm. um so is this sort of sort of part of this that this is what you'd quite like to do yeah so I think I think being in London and you know and I think people who who have come into London just to visit will, will witness the fact that it's so it's just feels so pressurized and so stressful um and I think for me I realize the older I get I just need a bit more like I need more physical space but also the physical space often translates into headspace um, and I just feel like I need I need to kind of breathe. Um, and for me, that move kind of I I hope and I think will provide me with that bit of bit of space. Um, but yeah, to do some of the things like writing, for example, I I know I I need I need quiet. I need space. I need you know I need to do that. So um, and obviously yeah, here in London, you know at home, you know we don't have massive amounts of space, and we'll be able to get more space there. Um, and yeah, that the house that we're hoping hoping will come off which we're, we're buying we're hoping it'll work out has like a little space that I could convert into wow. a cookery school so um so yeah so that will be great so yeah so amazing. that's kind of what will happen hopefully fingers mm. crossed um but I would also like to study I mean as as I said I can't I don't know I mean probably most people will think my god what is wrong with this woman um <laughs> she's done but I just really love learning things yeah. and like there's so many things that like I feel like oh god I really don't want to not have had an opportunity to learn about this you know or, mm. or that I mean I, I really love nutrition and like um you know health and thinking about how you know just doing more deep more and more deeper study into looking at you know how the body functions you know in relation to various different things I would love to do um you know there's so many things I feel like I would really love to learn so at some point in my life I know I will continue and and try to find something else to study Mm. um but obviously yeah again and I've always kind of combined studying and working together so so we'll see and writing a cookbook as well that's something that you you'll you well you have been doing haven't you You... well yes and no I mean I had (laughs) I'm not going to be ashamed to say this I'm sure people will um I was I was approached by publishers to write a book wow oh no Um, you're talking to me who's like in awe of that before you get excited before you get excited (laughs) it all went south quite recently um I mean it was just I mean and this is one of the reasons why I kind of 
I mean, having worked on cookbooks from the other side, I've always said, I don't want a cookbook. People are like, oh, you should write a cookbook. And I'm like, I really don't want to because I know what goes into them and I know mm. what the industry is like. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I was approached to write a book um, and it came out of the blue. And I was like, oh, OK, well, that's great. No. Yeah, great. Um, and then I was kind of strung along for weeks, well, months rather, um, eight months to be exact with the contract is coming we're making you an offer it's coming we just have to do this we have to do that um and then it not materializing so oh. i mean good thing i didn't start writing the book yeah um but i was kind of poised and ready and waiting um and i've even gotten a literary agent which is great so i've got an mm, agent who is gonna we decided to kind of yeah just take this as a sign that we just need to regroup they weren't the right publishers for yeah the book and maybe you know the book needs to look slightly different and again it's about me kind of thinking about what I want to write not trying to find something that you know the individual public think will sell or you know and I guess ultimately it comes down to money and what will sell and you know certain people have certain ideas about what they think will sell and who they think will sell um you know and if it doesn't you know if it's not a good fit it's not a good fit and in the end it wasn't a good fit because you know they they're clearly mm. don't think that I'm marketable enough but again it's you know it's just it's not the right fit it wasn't the right time so we're going to regroup and come back and work a bit more I think a bit more about what it is I want to write about um but yeah so hopefully a book is mm. on the card yeah, with I the don't right know people. when yeah yeah with the right people and you know the right subject I mean I love fermenting and I think you know as I said finding my way into kind of the idea of you know looking at food as a, a, a tool for you know managing and optimizing our health is something that for me has been life-changing and I think for so many people is important to know more about so you know something along those lines you know fermentation is a big part of what I do and how I eat and I feel like it's something that everybody can learn and do so I want to make that really accessible um, and also I think you know just not our physical health but our mental health and the way that food impacts on how we feel mentally mm. and that's huge and I think you know with the crisis and both you know the, the physical health but also the mental health services people are you know more and more kind of having to do more for themselves to look after themselves and I think we often you know we often think that you know if I want to feel better and feel fitter and stronger you know I need to eat better but we don't talk about really how mentally mm. if we want to feel better we need to eat better because there's so many key nutrients in our foods that can support brain function um, and support the fun you know the support the creation of the nutrients that we need to keep our brains healthy and that ultimately has an impact on how we feel mentally mm. um, so I think you know there's a lot to be said in that so who knows yeah who knows? it's exciting though all of it so exciting. Yeah. Also, it's interesting um, you said uh, you want to make peace with your social media aspects or what yeah I find this fascinating because I can't get my head around social media at yeah. all I, mean, I can't but yeah. looking at your Instagram I think you do do it very well Ooh. I think you do it really well I go through phases and this is something that and I go through phases because I mean I think one of the things that I feel like as I get older and as like you know again coming into these new chapters and wanting to kind of find what really makes me happy part of me is really reluctant to kind of move into this sphere where I have to wait for people to like and accept mm. what I'm doing mm. and I find social media is based on that yes, <laughs> you know yeah. it's that's the whole model is that yeah. you need people to like what you do so that you can you know become more successful mm. um 
And that, again, kind of goes against what I feel like I want for myself. Like, mm. I want to be happy and do what I, I love doing. And if that resonates with people and, you know, the people that really get on board with what I do and, and we can kind of have a great meeting in the minds and it's wonderful. But I don't want to kind of be felt that, like, you fall into these traps where you start to think that, oh, you know, I'm not good enough because people mm. haven't liked this. Or, you know, I don't have enough followers. So that might mean that, you know, that might translate into the fact that, and again, this is what, again, and, and for me most recently, it's kind of been you know, a triggering point is that this is why the publishers basically pulled out of the book because they said that my social media following wasn't big enough. Oh, um, And, you know, these sorts of things, you're like, I don't ever really want to carry on judging myself by someone else's and waiting for someone else to like and accept what I do. Mm. And I think for me, I need to somehow make peace with the fact that social media is there as a tool to use for different things. But I need to find a way of separating how I feel about myself and my work based on mm. how acceptable it is on social media mm. and so that's why I kind of go in these ups and downs where you know there can be times where I can kind of completely distance that and I feel like you know I'm just doing great things and I want to share these things and mm. I you know I don't really care if people mm. like it they do that's great um but there are times where you're like oh gosh I'm doing all these things and nobody's liking it mm. and it's really difficult to kind of really I think it's complex it's so complex yeah. and I, I had to make peace with it somehow so I'm still working it out <laughs> but I, well I think um my lovely listeners will really appreciate your honesty there because I think quite a lot of what stops people from doing it and I know this was definitely true for myself is mm. that because you you think oh god you know you're going to share it and you feel a complete and utter wally and mm-hmm. um like you say and it's oh I haven't got any followers and I haven't had any... but but that's like you say you kind of have to overcome that anyway because you mm. want to share the work but it's l- looking at it in a different way but but it's yeah. it's very easy to look at say your feed and think god she, she's got it sorted so the fact that you've been yeah. so honest I really appreciate that so no, thank you thank I, I you I so don't have it all sorted and there's times <laughs> where I just have to step away from it and I think um you know and again and you're penalized in the social media world when you step away from it and you come back to it but sometimes you just have to you have to step away from it when you find that it's just you know it's really impacting on how how you feel about yourself and your work and you just have to step away yeah and and I think yeah sometimes you just have to and come back when you you know when you feel like you can compartmentalize um but again personally I wouldn't do Instagram if I didn't have to do it for work no and I and I don't like doing it but I know it has it has sent opportunities and work my way so I know I have to be present there yeah but I, I wouldn't do it personally no. again I mean and that's just my personality as I said I I don't I just don't again I don't I, I'm getting to the point where I just don't want to live my life and wait for my happiness to come from other people yeah and I can feel like and that's the trap we fall into often with social media yeah I, yeah. Think. I think it's a so, very yeah. wise way of living um so who would you like to thank along the way you say there have mm. been several people you're yes and I'll let yeah. you let you thank them yeah so as I said Anna Jones has been amazing mm. so she gave me one of my first opportunities um and she's given me many more since then um, and she's introduced me to some wonderful people that I've worked with as a result. Um, so yes, yeah, so she's been a massive help and, you know, and, and she's now become a really good friend as well. And so it's really nice to, yeah, have had to take that, that gamble on me mm. when I, you know, was a newbie and knew nothing. And, yeah. you know, and, I was and the timing racing. of it as well. The yeah, timing. yeah. 
And I mean, again, and then one of another friend of mine, so he's a food photographer who I met on set with Anna Jones. And um, I remember we were chatting briefly about my career change. He's like, I think what you've done is really brave. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. And we've kept in touch and we've become great friends. And he's one of the people that, I, you know, we're having a bit, you know, when you're having a bit of a, a moan about the industry, he's always there to kind of really have a good chat to and kind of keep things in perspective. Um, so he's been a good, a good friend. Um, yeah, I've got, you know, again, it's, it's random. So I've got a, a neighbour down the Sounds road. Sounds lovely. It's really, really nice. Yeah. She, like, she celebrates my every win, even when I've, like, forgotten <laughs> that, you know, something's happened. She'll, like, bring it up and she, oh. you know, she'll broadcast it. Again, we've got, like, a street WhatsApp group. And bless her, she's always, like, popping stuff up on there. And I'm always a bit, like, a bit, you know, I, I tend not to, you know, want to see these things often, particularly if it's my face in a newspaper. Um and she'll be like, oh, look, who was in the newspaper? And I'm like, oh, great. But it's it's wonderful that someone is, like, cheering for you. I mean, it's so important to have people, I guess, in your life that kind of, you know, they see, no matter how minimal your achievement is, they, they see just something amazing mm. and they want to celebrate it for you. And that's really, it's really special. Um, and you wow. said, we well, said, which I think is lovely, like your kids, children. Yeah. 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 Oh, they're so lovely. Um, they really are. They, like, are, I mean... Yeah, they're always so supportive. They always tell me how amazing things are. They're bragging to their friends. And they're always, like, so excited to see things I've written in print and, and whatever else. But, you know, they're really lovely. And I think for them, yeah, this has been, obviously, they, they benefit massively because they yeah. get good food and, yeah. you know, they you know they get nutritious meals and whatever else. But, but no, they're just, I think, hopefully I'm, me having done this has kind of shown them that, you know, you, you can really... Yeah, you don't have to have, you know, you don't have to have it all figured out. You know, you don't have to go down a certain path just because you think you have to. Um, and you can just kind of, yeah, you can find your happiness and you can kind of create it. And I don't know what I'm teaching it, but hopefully I'm teaching them something. Yeah, I think, well, you're teaching <laughs> me a lot on this uh, conversation. So I think, and yeah, surely your husband as well must benefit some, from some great food mm. there. So that's not a bad I know, way to live, I know. The last, the last year in lockdown, since he's not had to go into work, he's actually lost weight and and my a friend of ours was like oh my gosh like what's he been doing like he's like what are you been feeding him like because he plays football every tuesday <laughs> and they're like he's like the only person who's actually like his his performance is like improved over lockdown and i'm like it's yeah, yeah I, it's the I magic ingredient it. yeah it's, it's all the home cooked meals that are you know nutrition focused and whatever else so yeah yes, no subways massive yeah I think it was the office cake <laughs> yeah office cake oh, yeah, looming nice around yeah. so yeah so there have been yeah a lot of people and I guess you know again it's just been yeah I mean it's been nice to, and it's been one of those things where a lot of people really don't understand often what I do but when they kind of get a glimpse of it they're really like excited for me and that's felt really nice mm. um you know it feels really nice. Mm, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, so Nina, I don't think there is a better person for this question. Last question. Um, okay. So, what is your advice then to anyone who? Yeah. So they're listening to this. They know they need a next chapter. I mean, how mm. you ex explain that? That just you know how you felt. You only enjoyed Friday afternoon to Saturday afternoon. I, I'm sure mm -hmm. there are people listening to this who feel exactly like that. Yeah, and it's yeah, a horrible yeah. way to. Live. Mm. And, and even if it's not as quite as extreme, but it's you just know, don't you? You're you're not living the life you're supposed to live and you're not doing the work mm. and but they just they don't know where to begin basically they don't know yeah, where to begin yeah. what to do what would you say to that person yeah so like we said earlier I think it's just admitting to yourself that it's not working that's mm. the hugest thing like just say you know it's not working 
And maybe I don't know what is going to work for me, but I know this isn't it. And I think when we kind of stop saying, oh, but, you know, I've got a mortgage, oh, but, you know, this and that. And obviously the mortgage is important, don't get me wrong. But if we stop putting those excuses in our way and stop, you know, stop blinding ourselves to the fact that it's not, you know, being completely blind to the fact that it's not working for us, that's the major I mean, that's the biggest thing you can do is just to admit yourself it's not working. I mean, maybe don't know what is going to work for you, but, you know, that will come. That will, You'll figure it out, you know. As I said, you know, you need to kind of, you know, think small. You know, is it maybe taking a course? Is it maybe, you know, doing um, a bit of something on the side? Is it, you know, is it maybe just trying to find something that is fulfilling um, and you, and taking it from there, seeing, you know, Again, it could be something that you do as a hobby and you could think, well, maybe could I do that as work? How could I do this as work? And then make a plan, make an exit plan. So obviously don't chuck everything in overnight unless you have to, unless you're that kind of person who works best that way. But make a plan, put some incremental steps in place so that you can ultimately get there. And, and I found when, as much as I hated my you know, work career in consulting, I found when I went back and I knew I had a plan in place, because originally I wasn't planning to be made redundant, obviously. Yeah. So I'd kind of planned to work and train alongside and like, you know, transition, you know, a bit more gradually. And and going back into that job with that plan in place made it feel so much better. I knew I had a plan. I knew I had an exit strategy, so mm-hmm. to speak. And it wasn't going to be, it might be difficult for a year, but it wasn't going to be that way forever. And in the meanwhile, I was doing something that fulfilled me. And that's something that I knew I was working towards that was going to bring me a bit more fulfillment and a bit more happiness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess I said, admit that it's not working. Get yourself an exit plan, you know, well, find something that you do love, find something, it could be, you know, taking a small course, it could be something, get yourself a plan to how you're going to exit where you are, you know, whether that's saving up some money to take a course or kind of saving up money to have a bit of savings, because obviously, you know, wherever you end up, you might not be earning, you know, straight away. So you might need a bit of a buffer, um, you know, and I think just, just be brave, really, because you have to, I mean, I think, you know, it's going to be hard and you just have to dig in. And when it's really hard, you have to, you know, keep going because the alternative is to go back into something that really isn't for you and really isn't making you any happier. So you just have to, you know, be brave, keep going again, surround yourself with people who will be your cheerleaders, who will think what you're doing is brave or amazing or, you know, help you celebrate it. Cause that'll be the kind of, you know, extra incentive, when it is difficult to know you know people are backing you and that it it feels good to kind of keep carrying on keep going with it um so yeah I mean yeah and I think as well one of the things I've learned as well is just always ask if there's something that you know you see someone doing that you're interested in or you want to try I'll just ask and people most often will be more than happy to kind of you know let you learn from them or tag along in some way um and you never know what you know what those experiences will bring um you know you might turn up and do something that you actually find that you love and you wouldn't have necessarily expected you love it um and again that's the kind of the way with food styling I remember I went on a set with Anna and I was like what's this called and she's like oh it's called food styling I'm like oh this seems really nice like it's you know you're cooking you're chatting you're, you're making things look nice and this doesn't seem like work this seems actually quite nice I mean um you know it's things like that you just discover things that you wouldn't necessarily know but you kind of have to be open to those experiences you know asking people for you know opportunities asking for help asking questions um and you know piece it together there's no you know there doesn't have to be you know a direct pathway your pathway doesn't need to look like you know 
whoever else has done it before you just piece it together and make it work for you i think Nina Foster, thank yeah. you so much for being thank such an amazing you. and honest guest of the next chapter. It's been yeah. brilliant speaking to you. Thank you. No, it's been really good. Hopefully, yeah, I didn't waffle too much and I don't think I swore too much. No, don't worry, I can beep it. So there you are. And nope, I didn't beep out the swearing words because Nina's conversation was just too passionate to do this. What did you think of that? I just love Nina's approach. It doesn't have to be a direct pathway. Just piece it together and make it work for you. And ask. If you see someone doing something you think he may like, well, just ask them and who knows what will happen. But as Nina shows, it is possible to create a life that fits for us. No more Sunday night feeling or in Nina's case, Saturday afternoon feeling. What an inspiration. Now, you can have a look at Nina's work at ninafosterfood.com and that's Nina, N-E-N-A. Have a look at her Instagram. It is delightful and full of so much joy. If you want to find out more about my next chapter, then, well, I'm at elliebarkerwrites.com. And as everyone always says at the end of these podcasts, if you could rate and review this episode, that would be just marvellous. You're listening to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker, a flower pot production. So keep thinking, keep cooking up those ideas. Go on, you can do it. Speak soon. <laughs>